Good morning, everybody. Thank you so much for joining us today. Uh, we are going to be covering Numbers chapter 20, verses uh, 23 to 29. Uh, so you can open there in your Bibles with me if you'd like. I have a couple of announcements. Uh, the first announcement is the 19th and the 20th. Um, we are not going to be having our Tuesday night women's Bible study or our Wednesday night Bible study, um, but that's the, only, that's the only two days, 19th and 20th. Um, following week, we'll pick right back up with those. And our first live service uh, is going to be May 31st. Um, I talked about this before, but uh, Dad had been on the phone with the governor's office and senators and congressmen, and when can we do service? When can we have church again? And um, he got, finally got an email from the governor's office saying that after the 15th of May, they're not going to uh, enforce um, the no church meeting policy that they've had because of COVID-19. So we figured we'll give it a couple more weeks, and then we'll meet live after that. So that's going to be May 31st, our first church service back. And then the following week, which is June 7th, we're actually going to have a church picnic after our, our second service. So if you're able to make it or you'd like to attend that, we would love to have you. But if you're unable to or not comfortable coming to, to church, we're still going to be doing it on the internet. So you can join us there as well. So turn with me, if, you're, if you would, into uh, Numbers chapter 20 and verse 23. Let's start with a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we come before you in Jesus' name, and we ask, Lord, that you would speak to us uh, and speak to our hearts this morning, Father, through your word. Uh, we ask, Lord God, that you would always, uh, now and forever, have your way in us, Lord. We pray that you would help us to be a people that uh, seeks to know ourselves, Lord, to allow you and your spirit, Father, to come into our hearts and to uh, just expose every aspect of who we are, Father. If there is a wicked way within us, Father, or something that we're doing or that we're a part of that's not pleasing to you, Father, that doesn't go along with your word, we pray that you would show us by your spirit, Father, that we would always be transparent before you, uh, Lord, because you're worthy of all of our service, Father, not just Sundays or Wednesday nights, Lord, but you're worthy of our best every single day. And so we ask and pray in Jesus' name that you would help us to be a people after your own heart, Lord, people who would be seeking after you, Father, with all of what we have and all of who we are, that we might know you, Father. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Okay, so Numbers chapter 23, we are going to be talking about the death of Aaron, kind of a sad note, a sad passing, really the end of an era uh, as Aaron is going to be passing away, going to be with the Lord. Now, earlier on in Numbers chapter 20, uh, we covered uh, the death of Miriam, of course, who is Aaron and Moses' sister. Uh, and then immediately after that, we have the grumbling of the children of Israel uh, as they're in the wilderness of Zin, and they come to Moses and, and Aaron, and they begin to complain, and they begin to gripe, as was their native tongue, it seemed. I mean, I can't imagine being Moses and Aaron after all of these years. You know, you're talking about a period of 40 years, uh, roughly, from the time that they leave Egypt till they come to the promised land, give or take. Uh, and all this time, it seems to be one thing after another that is causing the children of Israel to gripe and complain, and it's always against Moses and against Aaron. And I just, man, it, it just, my, your heart goes out to these guys as they put up with it 
time and time and time again. Sometimes they do well at putting up with it, and sometimes they do not do well at putting up with it. And this is an interesting uh, portion here in Numbers chapter 20, because in this particular circumstance, when the people are griping because they say there's no water and we're thirsty, and not, if, if it was just we're thirsty, you could understand. It would, it would be like, okay, I get it. You're thirsty, you want water to drink, and yeah, that's pretty important. You, 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 we can totally understand that. Let's pray, and let's let's ask God to provide for our needs. But it was always beyond that. You know, it's, and, and, and I got to confess to you, I can be this kind of a guy. Not that I'm accusing God, but I can be that kind of guy where if one thing's wrong, I begin to complain about everything that's wrong. And when they would come to Moses, it wasn't just, hey, listen, we need water. We're dying here. We need water to drink. Oh, let me go to the Lord. You know he's going to provide for your needs. But no, they come to him and say, why did you bring us out of Egypt? You've brought us into this. Did you bring us here to die? And just that one phrase, that longing for the days of Egypt, that, that longing as though, as though it would, and they would say, it's, it would be better if we would have died in Egypt. Oh, man, I just can't imagine how that would have irked Moses, but more importantly, how that would hurt the heart of God. You know, God would always talk to the children of Israel in this way. He would always say, I'm the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt. That, that's where the celebration should be. He brought me out of the land of Egypt. I should never look back to the old days in my life in a longing, mournful way. You know, they say that hindsight is twenty-twenty, and that can be a good thing, but man, oh man, that can be a negative thing as well. The reason that I came to Christ, the reason that I gave my all to Jesus Christ, that I cried out to him was because in spite of all of the good times, in spite of all of the happy times, in spite of all of the partying, in spite of all of that, I just did whatever I wanted to do all the time. Nobody told me what to do. Nobody told me where to go. I just was completely out there just living it up to the fullest in my mind and in my heart. But I was empty inside. At the end of the day, or when I would wake up and I'd be lying in my bed first thing in the morning, I just remember this so distinctly, feeling like, what's missing from my life? I don't have anything fulfilling my life. I don't feel fulfilled. It's always something missing. And it tortured me to the point where I cried out to the Lord. And so it's easy to look back and say, oh, remember this good time, remember that bad time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But remember the condition of your heart. Remember the condition of your soul. Remember what was missing from your life. And that just had to be such an irksome thing for Moses to hear from the children of Israel. And so God, of course, tells Moses and Aaron, I want you to go and I want you to speak to the rock and I'm going to bring water from the rock, and I'm going to give the children of Israel something to drink. It's interesting because you would expect God to be angry at this point in time. But this is a very specific, I believe, doctrinal thing here that was happening. And I think it's very, very important to notice how God is not angry. Let's actually turn back there. This is Numbers chapter 20. In verse, uh, in verse 7, the Lord spoke to Moses saying, take the rod, you and your brother Aaron, gather the congregation together, speak to the rock before their eyes, and it will yield its water. Thus you shall bring water for them out of the rock and give drink to the congregation and their animals. 
So Moses took the rod from before the Lord as he commanded him, and Moses and Aaron gathered the assembly together before the rock as he had said to them, and he, or excuse me, and he said to them, Hear now, you rebels, must we bring water for you out of this rock? And Moses lifted his hand and struck the rock twice with his rod, and water came out abundantly, and the congregation and their animals drank. Now, the first time that we read about God bringing forth water from the rock, God had specifically told Moses to strike the rock. He told him specifically, take the rod of God and strike the rock. The rod, of course, was that rod of leadership. It was that rod of ministry. It was the staff that God had given Moses as a sign of his covenant between Moses to lead the children of Israel. It's that staff that God had had Moses cast down and it had turned into a stake. It's that, it's that staff that had caused the waters of the Nile River to turn to blood. It's that staff that had caused the Red Sea to part. This is the rod of God. And God had said to Moses, take the rod and strike the rock and water will come out of the rock. But now specifically, God says, take the rod, but speak to the rock. Now, interestingly enough, in the New Testament, the Bible says that Jesus Christ was that rock that followed them in the desert. Now, that doesn't literally mean that Jesus turned himself into a stone and was rolling around in the wilderness. What it means is figuratively, figuratively, he was that rock. Symbolically, that rock was important, not just because it gave the children of Israel water to drink, but what it symbolized what it symbolized, out of rock, out of stone, out of nothing that can do anything for sustenance for anybody comes living water. Not only that, not only that, that's from the sense of the wilderness, but in a spiritual sense, Jesus Christ being our rock, being our foundation. Remember Jesus told the parable where he said, those who hear these words of mine and do them, they're like a man who built his house upon the rocks, upon the stone." And the wind came and the rains came and the house stayed firm. And the Bible says that Jesus was that rock in the sense that he was with them in the wilderness and he was the one giving them those life-sustaining elements that they needed to, be, uh, to continue on their journey. Now, interestingly enough, the first time God told Moses, strike the rock. And the second time, speak to the rock. And when Moses Instead of speaking to the rock the second time, when he gets mad, when he gets angry, here now, you rebels, and he strikes that rock twice, God immediately after says, you can't go into the promised land now. He tells him, because you failed to hallow me before the people. What is God saying there? What does he mean by that? Well, if the Bible says that Jesus Christ symbolically was that rock that followed him in the wilderness... And it was so important that he strike the rock the first time for water to come out and not strike the rock, but speak to the rock, in a sense, ask the rock the second time and the water would come out. What does that mean? Well, we know that Jesus Christ was struck for us that he was struck, and because he was struck, because he was put to death for us, that living water that he spoke of became ours and became ours abundantly, that living water being a symbol of eternal life, eternal life. Remember Jesus with the woman at the well when he talks to her about this living water, and she, of course, thinks he's talking about a real water, and she says, give me some of this water to drink. 
And he begins to explain to her the fact that it's not water water that I'm talking about. It's a spring, it's a well of living water water that will spring up within you. It's that filling of the Holy Spirit. It's when God begins to intercede in your life and you realize that I belong to God and I've been a rebel from him and I need to be brought back into relationship with him through Jesus Christ. And he begins to work in your life and you feel his presence in your heart, in your life, welling up within you, it is truly the water of life. It is what sustains us as a believer. But Jesus Christ was struck once. The Bible says that he died once and for all mankind. He died once and for all mankind. Jesus Christ, Hebrews talks about this, it talks about the fact that he is not like the animal sacrifices that had to be offered over and over and over again. No, no, no. You're talking about the Son of God. You're talking about Jesus Christ. He had only to be offered once. And the blood that he shed in the cross at Calvary was enough to cover the sins of all mankind for all times because it's the Son of God. Oftentimes when people would challenge me and say, you're telling me that if uh, Saddam Hussein or bin Laden or Hitler or one of these really, really awful, terrible guys, if at the end of their lives they would have repented, if they would have asked Jesus to forgive them, you're telling me that he would forgive them? And I say, yeah, that's exactly what I'm saying. And then the question always comes in, that's not fair. That's not fair. That's not right. Why would he forgive them? And I always say, this is what my response always is to that. We have to look at it from this standpoint. Look at it like this. Whose sin, whose wickedness, whose shortcomings is the blood of Jesus Christ not good enough to cover? Whose? Whose sin? What thing has been done out there that is so bad that Jesus' blood just isn't good enough to cover it? Well, you think about it like that and you realize, well, of course, Jesus Christ, his blood that he shed at Calvary is good enough to cover anything anything. That's the beauty of the gospel. We are made free when we give our hearts and we give our lives to Jesus Christ. We're made free because of that blood. It sets us free. But Jesus Christ died one time, and he was buried in the tomb, and on the third day he rose from the grave, and he ascended into heaven, and the Bible says he sits at the right hand of the Father forever to make intercession on our behalf. That is his job. He is our king, and he is our intercessor. He is our high priest between us and God. He has fulfilled all of the law that was given to Moses. He is the fulfillment of it. He need never be struck again, only asked. And that is the importance of the rock. And that is why God was so upset with Moses and told him, you failed to hallow my name. It was very important that you strike the rock the first time, but the second time that you show the people that the rock only needed to be spoken to. And so he says here in verse 23, the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron in Mount Hor by, by the border of the land of Edom, saying, Aaron shall be gathered to his people, for he shall not enter the land which I have given to the children of Israel. Here it is. Because you rebelled against my word at the water of Meribah. Take Aaron and Eleazar his son and bring them to Mount Hor. And strip Aaron of his garments and put them on Eleazar his son. For Aaron shall be gathered to his people and die there. 
So Moses did just as the Lord commanded, and they went up to Mount Hor in the sight of all the congregation. Moses stripped Aaron of his garments and put them on Eleazar his son, and Aaron died there on the top of the mountain. Then Moses and Eleazar came down from the mountain. Now when all the congregation saw that Aaron was dead, all the house of Israel mourned for Aaron 30 days. I want to just talk quickly about the death of Aaron and the death of Moses. Now, God specifically linked Aaron and Moses not being able to go into the promised land because they had not hallowed his name and the fact that he had, and, and Moses, you know, it seems when you read this like jeepers, why was Aaron caught up in Moses' punishment for not being not able to go into the promised land? Aaron didn't strike the rock, Moses struck the rock. But apparently Aaron must have been in full agreement to that. Aaron must have been just as hot, just as angry. Who knows? Maybe he was the one that said, I'll tell you what you do. <laughs> Maybe hit the rock to really show him how, I, I, who knows? I don't know. God knows the heart. And God linked Aaron and Moses together in this and specifically says, you two cannot bring the people into the promised land. Now, I want to just stop there for a moment and symbolically talk about the promised land and Moses and Aaron. Moses, of course, is a picture of the law for us, right? Moses is the one to whom the law was given to distribute to the people. Do these things and you shall live. That's what the law is. The law is if you do these things, all of these things that are written, and don't do all the things that are written not to do, then you shall live. Or in other words, then you can have a relationship with God. But if you fail to keep the law, you die. You die. That's why the sacrificial system was instituted, because people couldn't keep the law. And so a sacrifice had to be made. And Moses was a picture of the law. He's symbolically the, the orator. He is the one who God gave the law to, to give to the people. So Moses is a picture of the law. And of course, Aaron is a picture of the institution of the priesthood. That's what Aaron is. He is a picture of the institution of the priesthood. In other words, the one who took that law and was the mediator between the law that said, if you break this law, you die, and God. Because the people could not come to God because they were lawbreakers. And so Aaron was the priesthood. He stood that gap. He gave the sacrifices of the people or offered the sacrifices of the people that they brought in order to have them be forgiven by God and to be able to continue on in relationship. Remember we talked about earlier in Numbers chapter 18 that God said, no longer can the children of Israel come near the tabernacle lest they die. There is this clean, clear, stark line made between the law and the people, between God and the people. The law stands in the way of people coming to God. Why? Because we can't keep it. We can't. No one can keep the law. That's why the sacrificial system was given there. And Aaron was the one. He was the mediator. He was the go-between. But to cross over the Jordan River... And to go into the promised land, the land of promise, which is another figurative thing, the law and the priesthood could not bring them there. And interestingly enough, interestingly enough, the one who God chose to bring the children of Israel from the desert of wilderness, from the wilderness desert, the desert of Zin, Mount Horeb, all these things, Mount Sinai, the one who God chose to bring them from that was not the law was not the priesthood, but was a man named 
Joshua. It was a man named Joshua. God our Savior. That's what Joshua means. I got news for you. We, like, we, we, we read the New Testament, and it's from the Greek and the Aramaic, okay? Let me tell you, the apostle, Matthew, that, his name wasn't Matthew, <laughs> okay? Luke, that wasn't his name. His name wasn't Luke. These are Anglo-Saxon names that were given to Jewish men. I got other news for you. Jesus, that's not what Joseph and Mary called him. You know what Jesus' name was? Joshua. That's what his name was, Yehoshua. Literally, God who saves us. God, my Savior. So interestingly enough, the law and the priesthood could not bring the people into the promised land. Only Joshua could bring the people into the, into the promised land. What an amazing picture. What an amazing picture that God gave us. Hidden here in Numbers, in the law, well, Numbers, Deuteronomy, and Joshua, hidden here in the Old Testament, this beautiful picture of God saying, the law the priesthood, religion can never bring you into the promised land. Only Jesus can. He is the one who saves us by his own hand. So God instructs Moses to go up on Mount Hor with Aaron with all of his priestly garments on. And there's this whole symbolic thing that takes place as his priestly garments are taken off of him and are put onto Eliezer, his son. Now, <clears throat> I wanted to just talk about Eliezer because there's not a lot that we're, that we're, that we're given uh, personally about Eliezer. But I want to talk about the role that he has as we go back uh, through the scriptures. And this is starting with Leviticus chapter 10. Uh, verse 16, then Moses made a careful inquiry about the goat of the sin offering, and there it was burned up, and he was angry with Eliezer and Ithamar, the sons of Aaron, who were left. Now, what is that talking about? In Leviticus chapter 10, this is that portion of Scripture where when the priesthood is, is, is initially being put into, into practice, uh, Aaron's sons, Nadab and Abihu, they offer up before the Lord unauthorized fire. In other words, the instance that they're burned before the Lord, they put something in there that was not prescribed by God. They added something to it from their own hands. It was not what God had said, this is how this is to be offered, this is how this is to be, uh, to be, to be presented before God. The Bible says that they offered up unauthorized fire. That's Leviticus chapter 10, if you want to write it down. And the Bible says that fire came out from the presence of God and consumed them. Now, here's the crazy part. That's crazy enough. But right after that happens, and Eleazar is there, Aaron's younger son is Eliezer at this point. And he's there, and he sees all this take place. And Moses immediately says to Aaron and Eliezer, he says, listen, we have to continue with these sacrifices. Don't mourn. Don't take off your head. Continue to serve God. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine that? And then later, when Moses comes in, the goat for the sin offering had been found burned, but it wasn't all eaten up. Remember, that specific sacrifice had to be eaten up by the high priest, and anything that wasn't eaten up had to be taken outside the camp and completely consumed and burned. There could be none left. But imagine the state of mind of Moses, or excuse me, of Aaron and Eliezer. Aaron's sons and Eliezer's brothers had just been consumed by the fire of God, because they broke the law. And Moses tells them, keep doing your priestly duties. And then later in the day, he comes in and he begins to rebuke them because they hadn't gotten rid of the sin offering all the way. Like, 
what did Eliezer see here? And, and, and I see, well, the way I look at it is I see a young Eliezer, or who knows how old he was exactly, but a younger Eliezer seeing this choice here, okay? Here's Moses, 100% zealous for God, 100% zealous for the things of God and for the law. The fact that Nadab and Abihu were just consumed is secondary to this. The service of God must go on. This tragedy, this thing that just happened, does not give us for one moment, for one moment, a reason to stop serving our God. And then on top of that, he comes in and begins to chastise them over a sacrifice that they hadn't completely eaten up or gotten rid of. And I just see a young Eliezer having a choice here, <laughs> in, in his mind and in his heart. How would you perceive this? I think so many of us would be like, you know what, dude? Like, are you kidding me? Forget you, man. No way. Uh, this is ridiculous. We don't ever hear from that. Anything like that from Eliezer. Anything like that. Aaron answers Moses and said, look, on this day, if I would have eaten it, would the Lord have been accepting of it? Would he have been pleased by that? And Moses' anger was subsided. But Eliezer saw this zeal coming from Moses towards the law. I'm only saying that to, 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 to kind of bring out the background of Eliezer. Um, let's see, da, 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 da. Verse, Numbers, chapter, Numbers chapter 3 and verse 4, it, it talks about that. Nadab and Abihu had died before the Lord when they offered profane fire before the Lord in the wilderness of Sinai, and they had no children. So Eliezer and Ithamar, these are Aaron's other two sons, ministered as priests in the presence of Aaron, their father. Now in Numbers 3.32, it says this, And Eleazar, the son of Aaron, the priest, was to be chief over the leaders of the Levites with oversight of those who kept charge of the sanctuary. So this is what becomes of this whole process of Nadab and Abihu dying before the Lord for offering up unauthorized fire. And Eleazar sees that, the judgment of God and the zealousness of Moses and then later we find him stepping in as priest and now in Numbers 3.32, him being put in charge of all of the articles within the holy place. He was to be chief over the leaders of the Levites with oversight of those who kept charge of the sanctuary. He was literally of the house of Aaron, but he was in charge of all the Levites who were in charge of keeping the tabernacle, keeping the, the sanctuary. Uh, Numbers chapter 4 and verse 16, it says this. The appointed duty of Eleazar, specifically the son of Aaron the priest, is the oil for the light the sweet incense, the daily grain offering, the anointing oil, the oversight of all the tabernacle and all that is in it with the sanctuary and its furnishings. So Eleazar, again, his background was son of Aaron, okay? And he was not the primary son of Aaron. He was not working directly with Aaron in the priesthood until his brothers are consumed by the fire of God because of offering up that unauthorized fire. And he sees that, and he sees Moses' zeal, and after that we find him being in charge of the Levites who took care of the sanctuary, and he himself, this is, this is Eliezer's job, he's in the holy place, and he's responsible for the oil in the menorah, he's responsible for the incense, which is interesting to me because that had, what had killed his brothers was unauthorized fire. He's in charge of the incense, and he's in charge of all that goes on within that holy place. He's already being used. He's already being set aside by God. It says uh, in Numbers chapter 16. Now, Numbers chapter 16 is the chapter of Korah's rebellion, if you remember, 
okay? This is when Korah and many of the other prominent families came before Moses and Aaron and said, you aren't the only ones who can minister uh, for the people, to, uh, minister to God on behalf of the people. You shouldn't be the only ones who were able to, to do the priesthood. You shouldn't be the only ones. You take too much on yourself. We want to be a part of it too. We're just as much the people of God as you guys are. And if you remember, they start this whole rebellion and Moses says, here's what you're going to do. Each one of you is going to get a golden censer, and that's the censer of the priest that the incense would go into, and you're going to stand before the tabernacle of God, and God is going to choose who's his and who isn't. Now, there were 250 of these men that came that day with their censers, and in Numbers chapter 16, the Bible says that fire, again, came out from the presence of God and consumed all 250 of these wannabe priests that had claimed that they had every bit as much of right to the priesthood as Aaron had. Remember what Moses had said to them, who is Aaron that you complain against him? This is about God. This is about you being disobedient to God's word. And so 250 of them presumptuously come before the tabernacle as priests with censers, thinking that they can just do the work of God with no fear and the Bible says that fire comes out from the presence of God and consumes them. And then specifically, in 1639, Moses instructs Eleazar, and Eleazar the priest took the bronze censers, which those who were burned up had presented, and they were hammered out as a covering on the altar. So imagine, in your mind, Eleazar the priest... He had years earlier seen his brothers consumed by the fire of God for not respecting the golden censers and the specificity in which God said incense was to be offered in them. God said it had to be done exactly this way. They didn't do it exactly God's way. And he watched his brothers burned up by the presence of God. And now, these years later, he sees the fire again come out from the same presence of God from the tabernacle and consume not two, but 250 men. And their censers lay on the ground in ashes. You want to talk about maybe having a little bit of an issue? You wonder what that brought his mind back to? And Moses, just like with his brothers, comes up to him and says, listen... <laughs> They offered these censers before God. They're now holy. So you've got to take all these golden censers, 250 of them, and hammer them out and cover the altar with them. Cover the altar with these 250 censers. Hammer it out and cover the altar because they're holy now. They've been offered before God. They're holy. And so now Eliezer takes all of these censers, the Bible says, and hammers them out and puts them on the altar. This is my point. Eliezer was the real deal. Eliezer had clearly made a choice. He was a servant of the Most High God. He was a servant of the Most High God. And nothing was preeminent to that in his life. Makes me think of Abraham, who was promised by God that all nations would be blessed through him and that he would have a son and from his loins would come a nation and everyone would be blessed. The Messiah would come through him. All of these promises. And then finally he has the son. Finally, Abraham has his son, Isaac. And God tells Abraham, I want you to take your son, your only son whom you love, to a place that I will show you, and there I want you to offer him up to me as a burnt offering. And, Mo and Aaron simply packs up, takes his son, 
and goes to the mountain and is prepared to offer up his only son, Isaac, as a sacrifice because God had told him to. The very same God who had promised Abraham that I'm going to use that young man, that through him nations will come, told Abraham, I want you to now sacrifice him. Now, the Bible in the New Testament tells us that Abraham had such faith that he believed that God was able to raise Isaac from the dead. Why? Because God had made promises to Abraham through Isaac. And Abraham's mind was so focused on serving God that he said this to himself, even if I put Isaac to death, even if God has me sacrifice Isaac, he made promises through Isaac, he can bring him back from the grave. He can bring him back to life. That's the faith that Abraham had. But more importantly, for our purposes here today, his focus was on God. No doubt, nothing blessed his heart more than seeing his son Isaac other than the Lord. And it seems to me that Eliezer was this kind of a man. And little did he know it, that he was being prepared, that he was being groomed uh, to take over for his father. I'm sure he didn't think it was going to happen in this way. Now, before all of this, in Numbers chapter 19, okay, so this is after his his brothers are burned up. <clears throat> this is after he's put in charge of the, of the tabernacle. This is after he's put in charge of the holy place and the oil of the incense and all of these things. In chapter 16 of Numbers, Eliezer, or excuse me, chapter 19 of Numbers, Eliezer is put in charge of the red heifer sacrifice. Now, if you remember in Numbers chapter 19, the red heifer was very specific, this very specific offering that had to be done, this very specific sacrifice, the red heifer, and it had to be perfect, spotless, without blemish, completely red, never had a yoke on it, and it was to be taken, it was to be offered up as a burnt offering, and its ashes with water was going to be used to cleanse the tabernacle. Later, the same thing would happen with the temple. The red heifer was to be used. And guess who God chose to make that sacrifice and to sprinkle the blood of cleansing? The blood of cleansing on the tabernacle was Eliezer. That's who God chose to do it. Not Aaron, but Eliezer was the one who made that sacrifice. Why, 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 why? I believe it's because Eliezer was zealous for the things of God. He was zealous for the word of God, for the sound doctrine of God's word, to not stray from it to the right or to the left. And that's where cleansing comes from. That's where cleansing comes from, is through honoring God's word and not being willing to make, make uh, compromises on God's word. Interesting. Uh, and so now, Eliezer is taken with Moses up onto the mountain with Aaron and I, and I just can't even imagine the scene. I can't even imagine the scene. Aaron knew what was going on. Moses knew what was going on. And no doubt Eliezer knew what was going on. They go up on the mountain. Do you think words were said? Think of all of the years. Moses and Aaron, Moses and Aaron are <clears throat> at least 110, 15 years old at this point in time. Maybe 120 years old at this time. They are extremely old men. And think of what they've seen. You want to talk about the end of an era. Think of the things that they've seen. From Moses first coming back to Egypt from the wilderness where he had become a shepherd and God had called him to Aaron and his sister Mary and telling him this is what God's about to do. The Passover, the plagues, the deliverance from Egypt, the Red Sea, Mount Sinai, the manna, the water from the rock, the victories over the Amalekites, all of these unbelievable miracles, this journey that had been taken and now 
it's at an end. It's at an end. I can only imagine what words may have been spoken between them, if any, as they went up on the mountain. And Aaron now, his priestly garments, he takes them off, or Moses literally takes them off and puts them onto Eliezer, his son, as that baton is passed from father to son. I think Aaron was probably very proud. I think that Aaron was probably very blessed that God was accepting his family perpetually as the, high, the, the, the family of the high priest from this point forward. And I love it here. Aaron wasn't, even though God said that he could not go into the promised land because they had not hallowed his name uh, at the waters of Meribah, notice the language that he uses. In verse 24, he says, Aaron shall be gathered to his people. Now, when the Bible talks about people breaking the law, it says that they would be cut off, that their blood would be on their own hands. That's not what's happening here in the death of Aaron. This is God literally taking Aaron home. He shall be gathered to his people. It's the same words that were used for Abraham, for Isaac, and for Jacob. Now for the man Aaron as he's gathered up and taken home. I think personally, I think personally, the happiest dude walking up the mountain that day was Aaron. I think that he was the happiest dude walking up that mountain. I think that he probably could not wait to get out of there, to be finally done walking around the wilderness with a people that did nothing but complain as he served before them day and night in the presence of the Lord. I think Aaron was probably the happiest guy on the mountain that day, which would speak to a hope beyond this world. It would speak to a hope beyond the things that we can see with our eyes and beyond the things that everyone else in this world is so concerned about, that is so worried about, what am I going to do? How am I going to do this? What is going to befall us? What is going to happen to us? Man, I want to have the heart that Aaron had. I want to have the heart that Moses had. I want to have the heart that the apostle Paul had when he said to the people, for me, this is he saying, for me, you're asking me personally, for me, to live is Christ. That's the purpose of my entire life, is to serve Jesus Christ. That's it. And to die? Oh, great gain. Man, to have that perspective, to have that mindset, that that's how simple it is. This life is about serving Jesus. And when I die, however that happens, however that comes to me, great gain. No apprehension, no fear, no doubt, no worry, but to know that our place is with God in Jesus Christ. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we glorify you and we praise you and we thank you for the example of Eliezer and the example of Aaron, Lord, from your word. We pray, Lord God, that you would help us to have that same heart, zealous for your word, zealous for your truth, Lord, uncompromising, unwavering in it. Uh, Lord, and when we do compromise and when we do waver, Father, we're so thankful that we're not under the law but we're under the grace and mercy of Jesus Christ who died in our place once and for all time, Lord, that we could have a relationship with you. Lord, we ask and pray that you would draw us closer and closer into your presence and that you would have your way in us and through us, Father. In Jesus' name we pray, amen, amen. Thanks, everybody.